Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. Today, we're honored to have our guest, Amber Miller. Amber, how are you today? I am doing fabulous. It's Friday. I got my workout in this morning. I pushed a little bit harder than I normally do. And so I'm feeling good about that. And I just want to keep that good energy flowing out to everybody that I come in contact with today. Awesome. What kind of workout do you do? Um, I recently just signed up for the Beachbody On Demand, so that way I can do it anywhere, and I'm really enjoying those workouts, so I don't have an excuse not to work out, and so, yeah, it's, you know, a combination of everything, so just trying it out. Good. Good for you. I I gotta tell you, with this pandemic, I miss going to the gym. It's... uh... Um, I'm, I have to buy equipment and, and work out here, but uh, hopefully one day I get back to the gym. And it's so f- hard to find equipment right now. Like I can't even find dumbbells. It's like you're on a waiting list, but, but I mean, that's what life does is it throws curveballs at us. And so we just have to navigate around it. It's like, okay, you could either stop working out because COVID happened or you could figure out a different way. So it just depends. Like, are you going to let your excuses dictate your life or are you going to find something to keep going? Right on girl. Right Mm -hmm. on. All right. A little, bit, a little bit about Amber. After years of living paycheck to paycheck and struggling with alcohol addiction, self-proclaimed former train wreck, Amber Miller is on a mission to show people that if she can get her life together, then there's hope for anyone. Amber went from being a lost, broke, blackout girl to a thriving woman that is now abundant in money, time, love, and energy. She has stepped into her life's calling as a high-level transformational coach and is the founder of A Life Not Wasted, a judgment-free group that empowers people to find their worth and make fearless change to conquer their dreams. Amber wants to raise the vibration of the world by using her light and laughter to show people that they are capable of more than they ever thought possible. I just got to say that. That's refreshing. That is refreshing. Okay, we're honored that Amber has shared some of her time today, and she's got a great story to tell. It sounds as though you went through some major life challenges with your emotional well-being mm-hmm. when alcohol became the most important thing in your life. 
Sounds like a very anxious anxious experience that can be very disrupting to someone. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, how you got here today, and feel free to take your time. Yeah. So um, we can go all the way back to my childhood, and I grew up in, in both parents drank every single weekend. They had their kids when they were in their 20s, so it was pretty early on, and and there was always chaos on the weekends. So lots of yelling and, you know, a little bit more than goes along with that. And, and then when I was probably about 12 or 13, my dad really basically quit drinking and, um, things got a little bit quieter, but then my mom, because we were getting older, my brother and I, Um, my mom's drinking kept on. And because my brother and I were more independent as teenagers, then that became like her outlet, like her thing, because she was more of the caregiver when we were younger. And so about 15 years old, I started drinking because monkey see, monkey do. And that's what everybody in the Midwest does. Um, There are very few people around that don't drink. And so at my mom's drinking like continued and got worse and worse. And when I was 22 years old, she passed away from that. And during that time, I remember thinking that somebody else needs to, um, you know, change the system, provide more resources and access for people that, that need that help. But I thought that somebody else had to do it. I didn't think that that person would be me. And so I, I had my own drinking issues and my own excuses. And in my head, I wasn't as bad as a, of a drinker as my mom. And so that basically kept up throughout my 20s then. And when I was 27, I had my son. And I, I thought I was being a good mom because I was giving him a better life than what I had growing up. We, didn't, we don't have the chaos in our house. And And, but yet I wasn't, I was still hung over on the weekends and I wasn't as present as I could have been. And inside I was hating myself and I didn't understand why I was so controlled by a liquid. And then um, a couple of years ago, when I was 32, I had my daughter and I was still going out on the weekends. And um, once again, like just still, I, I was still in this trap. And then I had a conversation with an old high school classmate's mom and my high school classmate, she needed help because she, she was at rock bottom for her drinking and she was knocking on death's door. And I recognized that situation from my situation 10 years prior. And I knew what I needed to do in order to help her. So I had my old classmate over for lunch and I basically laid it down that, you know, that she was going to die if, if she kept that up. And before she left my house that day, I gave her about a two minute hug because I wasn't sure if she was ever going to, if I was ever going to see her again. And three weeks later, she decided that she was ready to seek treatment. And I remember thinking that and, and I walked into her parents' garage and, and I saw her at rock bottom. Like this is, this is the weakest that she had ever felt, but 
But at the same time, I was looking at her like she was the bravest person that I'd ever seen because she was reaching out. And she tells me that she doesn't, she didn't know what I said that day, you know, but basically it was because somebody gave a damn. And it was, it was in that situation that I decided that alcohol no longer had a place in my life. And that if I kept up the way that I was going, that I would end up in the same place as my mom. And I decided I wanted better for me and I wanted better for my kids and my family. And so I read a book on how to quit drinking and it's like a flip has been switched. And it's like, once you decide, like, hold on, like, because the universe is going to open up all the doors. And basically now it's, if I can help one person, like I want to help as many people on a bigger scale as I possibly can by sharing my story and, and what I've been through. Awesome. I have the same context, you know, I went through a bunch of stuff and we'll get into it. And I don't, I don't want others to have to go through what I went through Mm -hmm. because it was too damn painful. Yes. And as a man, too many men, are afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 300 million people in this world have depression, but only half of them ask for help. And most of them are men. Yep. And I'm trying to communicate that it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It's the bravest thing that anybody could do. Exactly. It takes more courage to ask for help. And there's nothing, who cares what other people think? Yeah. You know? Anything past my nose is none of my business. Who cares what they think? So, and and the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, people don't realize that alcohol can kill you Mm -hmm. until it's too late. I, after my mom passed, I describe it as a slow suicide. Yeah. Because that's exactly what it was. I know guys that have been sober for 20, 30 years and decide to have a drink. And the next thing you know, they're on death's doorstep. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. It is. And the other reason that I do this work is because I've had guys that I've sat and talked to, had a coffee with on a Wednesday, Thursday. And Monday, I get a call. Hey, did you hear about Joe? He hung himself on Saturday. And I'm like, I just was talking to him. And after hearing this three or four times, I was like, time out. I've got to do something about this. I cannot take another call like that because for 24 hours, I go numb. I I lose focus. I can't, I can't deal with it. And that's what happens is like, our adversities, like the things that we go through, those hard moments, that's what gives us our superpowers. And that's what gives us the empathy and compassion that, that we need to help others that are still out there and struggling. You betcha. So I would bet that as you were growing up, you never thought you'd be this influencer in all of these areas that you're currently immersed in. 
You know, growing up, like I, I have always been a people person. Um, my mom has always told me that I have a free spirit and I never knew what the heck she was talking about. And as a young girl, clearly I rolled my eyes and she always told me that I would do big things. And for the longest time, all of that was so clouded because of the alcohol. Like I couldn't see like what I was supposed to be doing. So finally, when I was able to quit, it's like the curtains were pulled back and it's like, okay, alcohol, that isn't my identity. Like that's just something that was placed on me. And that doesn't have to be who I want to be for the rest of my life. And, and we get to pick and choose, you know, like what direction do we want to go? And so, you know, as a young girl, like I've, I've just always wanted to help people and, and now I'm finally living that. So you would say that that's the driving force within you that, that drives you to excellence is that you really want to help others. That is my sole purpose. It's, it's the reason why I had to go through everything that I did. And it's the way that I can honor my mom and, and the crap that she went through in, in the highest version of myself. And, and so if I can help somebody else out of the trenches, that's what I'm going to do. I feel the same way. But it took me longer than you to figure it, figure it out. And, uh, you know, I'm a dinosaur, but I wish I, I, you know, at a younger age, I had those thoughts that you have so I could have helped more people. And I'm, you know, I'm happier now because I, I'm sober and I feel that I am living my purpose. Yeah that I'm my authentic self, mm -hmm. and I'm happy, and, you know, like I said, I don't care what other people think or say. And, and that's just it, is, you know, like, when I was still drinking, like, I always wondered, like, well, who am I going to be if I don't drink anymore? And I was so wrapped up in, am I going to have friends? Like, what are people going to think and everything? And now that I'm sober, it's like, people like me even more than they did before. They're like, I don't, I don't, you haven't changed at all, but you've changed so much. And it's because I'm happy with myself. I like myself. And, you know, like, yeah, we could sit here and we wish that we could rewind time and do it all over again, but everything happens at the exact moment that it's supposed to. And I am extremely grateful that I did figure this out at 33 years old instead of, you know, like is, many people will never get to feel the way that I feel. And, and that breaks my heart. If I could give everybody like just one hour to feel what I feel about myself, if everybody could feel that, then people wouldn't care about drinking or all of the bad habits and they wouldn't care what other people think. And I want people to be able to be their authentic selves. And that's all we want is to be heard and not judged and, and to live that life. Awesome. <laughs> so tell me about your style that you use in these areas. And is there a central message that you try to get across? 
Honestly, my style is just keeping it real. It's sharing from my heart because if I were to try and be somebody else that I'm not, then that's not going to come through the same way because I was that person before. I was wearing this mask of a drinker and, you know, my energy, it wasn't as good. And I did a lot of things that I wasn't proud of. And now I am living my authentic life and I'm saying to the hell with, you know, I don't care what anybody else thinks because at this point in my life, it's not about me anymore. This is about the people that I need to help, the people that are still out there silently suffering. And I need them to know that everything that's happened up until this point in their life doesn't matter. Like that is not a life sentence that you can reach out to other people and who are in a certain way that you aspire to be and, and ask them, you know, like, what are the changes that like, how do they live their life? And it's just, my main message is like that people are worthy and deserving of an amazing life. We just stand in our own way. And so if we can just take ownership of that, get honest with ourselves, what are the things that are not helping us to live by our heart and soul? And, you know, that's why we're unhappy. And so if people can take ownership of that and decide, I don't want to live this life anymore, you get to make that decision and, and you get to change it. Amber, you're awesome. You're awesome. All right. So looking back, is there one moment where you felt the most gratification for all of these experiences you've been through? And, and why is that? So I, I don't even know that it's one moment of gratification because it's, it's every moment that I get a message from somebody, you know, saying that I've helped them more than I realize. And that's the whole thing is like when I came out with my story and I started sharing, I was terrified. And I was once again, like, what are people going to think of me? Like, what am I doing? Like putting this out there for the world to see. And, and when I, those fears started up in my head, that's when the universe gave me a little nudge and it, somebody sent me a message saying like out of the blue saying how much I've helped them. And I'm like, they're watching, like they're listening. And so that's when it became really apparent to me. But there was one moment recently um, that really stood out to me. And so we were at a family gathering and my six-year-old was sitting on my lap and somebody had asked him if he was going to drink beer when he was older. And he just said no and shook his head. And then he like quietly looked up at me and whispered and he's like, because not everybody drinks, right, mom? And my heart exploded because, and I was so extremely proud of myself in that moment because I was giving him that example of somebody that doesn't drink in his life. And it could be the extreme opposite of that right now. Like I was a train wreck and, you know, like I wasn't present for my kids and now I did, the, I did this for me, but my kids are getting the best possible version and example, and, and I'm proud of me. Good for you. Well, obviously, going through this, whether you during your drinking time or 
when you decided to get sober, uh, it affected your feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with that? Did you ever ask for help? And why or why not? You know, in those years that I drank, that was just a constant loop that fed itself. And so I would go out on the weekends and I would party and I would make an ass of myself. And the next day I would hate myself. And it's like, okay. And, and like, it was just such a dark place to be. And I didn't understand why it had such a grip on me. But then how do you fix that feeling? I drank more. And, and so it's just this constant thing. And people don't understand that alcohol is like pouring gasoline, you know, on depression, like it's the gasoline on the fire, you know? And so it makes that cycle so much worse. And, you know, there were a few times that I reached out for help, um, but I was in denial of my, my own problems and my own drinking. And, and so like I could lie to myself, you know, with the excuses and everything like that. And it really just wasn't until like that situation of helping an old friend out that it was just like, okay, this is it. Like, this is my sign. All right, universe, I'm ready. And for me, all it took was having to read a book to quit drinking. Because when I saw her like that, like I didn't want to have my family have to make that decision. Like I didn't want it to get to that point where I was dragging my feet to get treatment. And like I wanted to take control of this and take ownership of my own problem. Because my mom, you know, she loved us kids, me and my brother more than anything, but she wasn't able to get past that alcohol. Like that, that had literally a death grip on her. And so my kids weren't enough for me to want to quit drinking or that I couldn't, like I had to want to do this for myself. But like I said, like now everybody gets the best version of me. Well, that, that speaks to your strength as a woman because male or female, it's, it's hard to do that, make changes by yourself. It is. And uh, so my hat's off to you. But, but the thing about that is, is like, I also started to surround myself with people that were at a higher thinking level. And so I was watching them and I knew that I was meant for more. And if I was able to take control of this drinking and get this drinking out of my life, then I would be able to level up in life now too. And so now like I want to expand that reach, like give me all of the awesome people that are doing amazing things. I didn't even know these people were out here in the world. The, the dreamers, the doers, the change makers, the light workers, like, I want to, I want to be in that space and I want to bring more people into that space. Yeah. Again, that's something that a lot of people don't get till later in life is that we are who we surround ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's it, because you're friends and you might've known somebody for a long time or family 
you know, you throw that out and you say, well, you know, this person's a good friend of mine, but mm -hmm. having real strength. And I talk to this a lot about with men and their masculinity. Being strong is not just lifting a piano down the stairs. Being a strong man is going into a conversation that you know has to be had, but the other person might not like what's being said, but it has to be said. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that a little further, but um, that's, you know, again, your strength is, is very admirable. So let me ask you about your father uh, while you were growing up. How do you, how would you characterize him as a man? Was he tough on you? Did he show love? Did he discuss emotions and feelings? Yeah. So um, that question, like it immediately makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to be like straight out, like I'm honest and, and then I thought about it and it's like, okay, like this still needs to be talked about. So my dad, um, he wasn't somebody that showed emotion. Um, he, I would describe him as a hard person. And, you know, in the early years of my adolescence, like it, it was chaos and, you know, like, there, there was violence in the house and, and then, and then he didn't want that anymore. And so, you know, that's when he quit drinking, like when he was 12, I, I wouldn't say still that, you know, he's an emotional person. And, but when I look back on, you know, the way that I was raised, I, I know that my parents were doing the best that they could with what they had and what they knew. And I also recognize them as people that are carrying their own baggage. And, and so, you know, I was able to forgive that. And it's like, it's funny now because I look at him as, you know, this amazing grandpa who, you know, loves his grandkids. And I'm just like, where was this guy when I was growing up, you know, but I'm, I'm super thankful that, you know, we have the relationship that we do now. Um, but all of that also like, you know, even the bad, like that helps make me who I am and helps me be able to relate to other people. And it also helped me like decide like what I do and don't want for my own household. Yeah. Well, did it ever occur to you that yesterday and today's masculinity norms, you know, the egotistical macho man, John Wayne Clint Eastwood, the good old boy network, that may have prevented your father from asking for help sooner for fear, fear of being labeled as not a real man? I don't know that it, like, I don't even know that that ever occurred to him to, you know, ask for help. And because it's exactly what you said is 
guys are, you know, they're expected to just be able to handle these things on their own and that they're supposed to have control and that you're not supposed to have emotions. And it's like, guys do have all of these things. It's, it's just like the standards that we put on men and the standards that we put on women, like they're all crap. And like, can we just please like let humans be humans and to feel and to ask for help and not judge. And so I don't, I don't think that was ever, you know, an option for him, like in his mind. Right. Um, let me, you know, you, you mentioned that there was abuse in your family. Um, I had abuse in my family too. And, um, I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't understand that until I left home that my depression and my addiction was as a result of my mental health issue of, that was derived from that abuse. My mother used to hit me and my brother. My dad used to hit me and my brother. My mother would yell and scream. Mm -hmm. Everything, all kinds of abuse. And I thought I lived in a, you know, middle class. I was living in the Midwest. I was, mm -hmm. thought I was typical Midwest, middle class family. And it wasn't until I left home that I looked back and saw that I was abused. But that now, at that time, I'm starting college and marijuana was the panacea. It, it solved all my issues. It mm -hmm. quelled all the pain. And I was glad to hear you say that you know that, you know, the depression was really driving your drinking. Mm -hmm. And because a lot of people don't like, they say, I just want to stop drinking. And they don't understand that, that there's a precursor. There's something that's driving that activity. Mm -hmm. So it, that that's, that's an important concept. And, you know, I'll ask you now if, since there was uh, abuse in your home, did you ever display any risky behavior as a child growing up? Al alcoholism, drug addiction, pill addiction, stealing, etc. Um. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started drinking when I was 15. And I would say that more so started off with good intentions and as a way to have fun, let loose and all of those things. But after a while, it's not fun anymore. And, and then that's when the hating yourself starts. And that's when the negative self-talk starts and everything that goes along with that. And so um, absolutely. Like it, it starts like so young and, you know, it's like what you go through as a kid, you don't realize how much of an impact it does have on you. And, um, you know, I, 
I didn't necessarily do it because I was in a bad place when I was 15, but eventually it led to that. And then it just continued like in my 20s. Right. Well, you have children now. How would you characterize yourself as a mother? Now I'm a mom that is present for my kids and I, I'm showing up as the mom that I want to be because prior to that, I wasn't like I, I would be hung over on the weekends and I'd have no energy and it was a nice day out. And so again, the, the negative self-talk would start in my head. And, and now it's like, I don't ever have to have that excuse again. Like now I've got the energy and now I'm somebody that's leading by example. I'm not just telling my kids, do as I say, not as I do. Like I took ownership of that and, and I'm not going to put that on them. And, you know, that generational trauma, like by me fixing this problem, like I'm healing my mom, my grandma, my dad, everybody that came before me, like it stops here. Cool. And how would you characterize your husband as a father? Is he easy? Is he tough? Does he lose his cool? Does he yell and scream, show emotions and love? What does that look like? Yeah. So, um, he's, he's my better half. He, he is, um, super passive. He is a guy that tells his kids that he loves them. You know, he is very much a part of their life. Um, he's just as much of a caregiver as I am. We are equal in all of the things. I would definitely say like, I mean, he's a man's man, but like at the same time, like he's open to my ideas and he knows that I only want the absolute best for our family. And so I remember um, when it was time to get him a new work car, cause he commutes quite a bit. And I was like, you know, to be honest, a Prius is our best option for a vehicle. I was like, are you man enough to be okay, you know, in your masculinity to drive a Prius, you know? And he's like, I don't care. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I was like, all right, good. You know, cause we still got the F-150 sitting, you know, in the driveway too. But like now the Prius is fun to drive, you know? And, and so I'm just grateful that he is, you know, the man that he is. And, and I really think that's, how the majority of the males are like in his family with his uncles and his cousins and everything like that. And they just all um, end up with crazy wives. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, I've done a lot of research on masculinity and mm -hmm. this toxic masculinity is prevalent today. Still mm -hmm. a lot of it, just like you said, our parents just, didn't know any different. They were doing their best. That's how they were brought up. Yep. But also the media is very active in using that to sell products. Mm -hmm. and that's not healthy. You know, uh, I found that, that boys and young men need this education about healthy masculinity at a young age. Otherwise, they just start taking on this toxic masculinity behavior mm -hmm. and 
it, you know, what ends up is that they have problems with relationships because they're not inclusive of women. They interrupt women. And, you know, a man today, whether it's at home or in the, in the workplace, has to be strong enough to create this environment for that woman, his, his wife or girlfriend, or, you know, um, in the workplace, if he's the leader and he's got women on his team, he's got to create this environment for a woman to thrive, to be herself, to contribute, mm-hmm. and, and not be, you know, scared of that or threatened by that. You know, that's how things come together and you maximize whether it's health and happiness in a relationship or productivity and profitability in a business relationship. And too many men, you know, you spoke about ego before and so many men abuse their ego and they make it all about them Mm -hmm. and they'll go out on a date and let me tell you how great I am and how many cars I have. And, you know, look at these clothes and I'm so smart and all this stuff. And, and the woman's like, Oh, you know, I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about my stuff. I <laughs> want this guy to listen to me. I want to be heard. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get through to men. It's not such a big deal. Yeah. You know? That's why it's important for me to like raise my son, like knowing that he can express those emotions and that we can have real conversations and that, you know, it's not going to make him any less of a person. And so like, I want him to feel everything and I, and I want him to be able to communicate that with his future partner too, or in, in just anybody in general. Well, you're modeling that for him, so he'll he'll carry that out. Yeah. Okay, just a couple of quick ones to wrap up. Uh, tell me what you've learned from all of your experiences so far. Um, the thing that I've like really come to learn is one: if you're afraid of something, that that's the exact thing that you need to do. So if you're afraid to seek treatment and and reach out for help, that's the exact thing that you need to do. For me, it became, um, I was afraid to share my story. And that was the exact thing that I needed to do. I, I was afraid to quit drinking. That was the exact thing that I needed to do. So anytime that a fear arises now for me, I'm, I'm seeing that in a positive way because that's, that's what I need to do in order to be able to grow. And with that being said, like, it does not matter who you have been your entire life up until this very moment. Like if you want to be a different person going forward, if you want to bring out that person that's in your heart and soul and, and align your life with that, you can like, there is nothing that says who you've been up until this point has to be a life sentence. And people are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. One last question. And I think I know what you're going to say, but personally, how do you describe 
masculinity. I'm interested to like know what you think I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's based on your role model of your husband. Um, it is a little bit. Um, I would describe like masculinity as as like an energy. So it's somebody that is confident in themselves, that they make decisions, that um, that they're doers, they go out and they get things done. But at the same time, that masculinity can be toxic. And, you know, like if you let your ego and your anger get the best of you, because we've, we've all got, you know, masculine traits. And for a long time, mine was covered up by alcohol. And, and so it's like, now that the alcohol is gone, now I can go out there and be that doer and, and share with the world my story without caring what anybody thinks. And, um, but in, in terms of my other half, he is, I just love him. (laughs) He, he is everything that I would want in a partner, in a, in a dad for my children. Like he supports me, um, you know, like never, never has anything negative to say. Sometimes my ideas are too crazy and he brings me back down to earth, but um, he is along for the ride and I could not be more grateful for him. Awesome. Awesome. Let me just touch on a couple things that I include in masculinity. Number one, I talked about the strength of a man, mm-hmm. whether it's physical or emotionally knows that he has to have this discussion. The other two elements I think are important when it comes to masculinity is um, a sense of humor. Men don't have to take life so seriously. Yeah. You need to lighten up. You know, life is to be enjoyed, mm-hmm. to be happy. And, and share that with others. And the other thing is spirituality. That whatever the man wants to, you know, interface with when it comes to spirituality, however he wants to connect, that's fine. As mm-hmm. long as he connects and he has some degree of, of of a place where he can get some grounding and and deal with things that like you talk about our energy, which, mm-hmm. you know, our conscious and our subconscious are so important. And, you know, we can tap into that if we make that spiritual connection. But, you know, it, especially guys, if they think that's a bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. then, you know, they, they, they remove a big part of life that can really lead them to success. Yeah. I mean, a, lot, a lot of the ideas, the good ideas that I get from my, myself is when I'm meditating, mm-hmm. I'm praying, and all of a sudden these things, these ideas come up. You know, I've had something come up when I... It's like I had to hire somebody and totally out of the blue, it came to me during a meditation that this is the guy. And 
he was the best guy, you know, I could have ever imagined or, you know, my fiance or, you know, whatever it is. It's like when I'm in that place, when I can quiet myself, when I can turn off all these screens, I can breathe, slow down and start meditating and praying and make that connection with my higher power. Mm -hmm. Things get easier. The answers come easier. But if my ego, you know, my, the more I use my ego, the less opportunity I have to connect with my higher power. Yeah. And so my, my ego is not my amigo. No. It's good up to a point, but I can't lead with that. Right. So that's how I see it. Well, in wrapping up, everybody, you can see Amber's story is quite remarkable. She's demonstrated courage, bravery, and giving to her community, a true role model for our world today. Before we wrap up, any final thoughts do you want to share with our audience? I just want to let people know that they are worthy and deserving of an amazing life. As long as they get out of their own way, they can have anything that they want. And if, you know, if you find that you're unhappy with life, it's because you're living in a way that doesn't align with what's in your heart and your soul. And, and just get honest with yourself about what are those things that have been holding you back for so long? Beautiful. I look forward to continuing our dialogue moving forward. I, I think that we can learn from each other so that we can help others. And Absolutely. I just want to thank you for taking the time today. Listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network, and healthylife.net. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a book about relationships, depression, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects relationships between men and women. I'm available for speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com. And don't forget, have some fun, everybody.